let's go to the word how many are ready for the word of the lord tonight i need you to flip with me please to the 13th chapter of the book of numbers i believe the lord gave me a word for this house tonight i want to speak it into your hearing because where god is getting ready to take you how many know you got to be in a position to go to that place god has appointed you to I want to say this because I'm, I'm uh, perhaps uh, my perspective is uh, unique and different. I come tonight in the office of an evangelist, but I am a pastor. And so I come to preach as an evangelist with the perspective of a pastor. And there is nothing more detrimental to the progress of a local church than the weight of people who are not on the right page. Now, I didn't come to be depressing tonight, so don't get all mad at me for a minute. But let me just say tonight, I believe as God launches this church into an even greater destiny than what you've seen, it will require everyone being in the right position, hearing the word of the Lord, and ready to move forward. I need you to look at somebody tell them, neighbor, we're going forward. We're, we're going forward. I don't know if they appreciate it. I don't know if they accepted it. I don't know if they're ready for it. But, but, but come hell or high water, we're going forward look with me please into the word of god i want you to look at the the 13th chapter of the book of numbers the 13th chapter of the book of numbers the last verse the last verse and then i'm going to go to the 14th chapter of the book of numbers and continue my reading how many know when god gave us the word he didn't give us numbers and chapters and verses When we got the word, it was all one big law and one big letter. But for sake of studying, we put numbers and verses on it, and I'm grateful for that. But I want you to read this through just like it's one thought, because that's exactly what it is. Look at the last verse of the 13th chapter with me. When you have it, shout amen. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants, And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers. And so we were in their sight. Verse 1 of 14th chapter. And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried. And the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron. And the whole congregation said unto them, Would to God that we had died in the land of Egypt. Or God, or would God that we had died in this wilderness? Look at verse 3. And wherefore has the Lord brought us unto this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and our children should be prey? Were it not better for us to return? I don't have no help in here. I'm going to have to find some help before I go on. They said, would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? I'm going to preach on the thought tonight, living in reverse. Father, would you capture our attention by the anointing that makes preaching powerful and life-changing? Heaven and earth will pass away, but your word, O God, will abide forever. I confess before this august body of believers that without you I am nothing and I do not lean on past victories and I do not rest upon past anointings. But now I stand in the need of a fresh touch from the Holy Ghost. And I pray that you would come into this building tonight and minister to those who are weary, those who are tired, give them strength, those who are depressed, give them joy, those who are doubting, I pray you would let them cleanse their hands and their hearts so that they leave this house with a faith that moves mountains and binds up devils. We thank you for what you're going to do in this place tonight. Now loose my tongue to speak like the pen of a ready writer and let the ears of those who are here be ready and open to receive the word of the Lord. And we give thanks in advance because we understand we are audacious enough in our faith to believe even before we see it with our eyes that the sick will be healed and the lost will be saved and the blinded eye will be open and the lame can walk and those who are disconnected from God can be reconnected tonight. And we give thanks and praise for it all in the name that's above every other name, the name of Jesus. Amen. 
Come on, give him praise one more time before you're seated. You may be seated. The book of Numbers is a transition book in the law of God. Genesis, the book of beginnings. Exodus, the book of departures. Leviticus, the book of the priesthood and the order of the priest. And then Numbers. Numbers is the text from which we derive God's plan for the people of God to go into the promised land. It was a promised land, a promised land that was given to them based on a promise God made to a man named Abram over 400 years prior to this text. Abram was a heathen. He was a man who lived in a place called the Ur of the Chaldees. It was a polytheistic nation. His family was a group of polytheistic people, meaning that they worshipped many gods. The Bible said in the 12th chapter of Genesis that God called Abram out of the Ur of the Chaldees. And he told him... A great promise that he would give him in his life. It was a promise connected to a blessing. A blessing of having a nation. A blessing of having a land. And a blessing of having a son. In the 15th chapter of the book of Genesis, the Bible said that God ratified this great covenant with Abram. As he passed between the cut pieces of the sacrifice and the burning lamp and the smoking furnace passed between the sacrifices and God said to Abram that your people will sojourn in a land and in that land they will become slaves and as slaves they will cry out to me but in 400 years I will hear their cry I will deliver my people and I will bless your descendants Abram with a land that will belong to them You know the story of how Abram had a son named Isaac. Isaac had a son named Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons. One name was Joseph. The Bible said that Joseph was favored among all of his brothers. And his father gave him a coat of many colors. uh, Included in this great favor that Joseph had was not only a coat of many colors, but a dream that associated, uh, uh, that, that was connected to his favor. He had a dream one night, did this son Joseph and the Bible said that while Joseph slept he dreamed that all of his brothers 12 she 11 she's were bowing in obedience and honor to him and when he began to tell his story and his dream his brothers hated him I don't want to park here long but I want to preach on my way to preaching that you got to be careful who you tell your dreams to Because there are people that don't like your future as much as you like your future. In fact, you've got to be careful because there are dream assassins that will crawl up in your life under an assignment of the devil and try to rob you of what God has promised to do in your life. Not everybody's going to shout over your promotion. Not everybody's going to shout over your job. Not everybody's going to shout that you're getting ready to move into a house that the bank said you couldn't afford. But when God is for you, if God be for you, who can be against you? The Bible said that this dream and this favor got him in trouble with his brothers. And his brothers threw him in a pit. And from a pit he was sold into... I feel like preaching in here a little bit tonight. From the pit he was sold into Midianite slavery. While in Midianite slavery, the favor that was on Joseph's life, isn't it wonderful that no matter how far down the enemy tries to push you, favor will lift you right back up. Oh my God, I feel like helping somebody in here tonight understand that I don't care who hates you. It doesn't matter what your boss has decided against you. When God gets ready to breathe on you and open up a door, my Bible said he'll open up a door. No man, no woman, no heathen, no boss, nobody can shut it. Because from Midianite slavery, he was sold into slavery. But from Midianite slavery, he went to a place called Potiphar's house. 
But then the Bible tells us he was lied on by Potiphar's wife and got thrown into Potiphar's prison. But from the prison of Potiphar, the Bible said he became the prime minister over all of Egypt. And so wise and favored was this man named Joseph that your Bible said he had a dream, another dream. And this dream didn't get him into trouble. It got him out of trouble. Oh, I thank you for it, God. The Bible said that he had a dream that seven fat cows were swallowed up by seven skinny cows. And the interpretation of the dream, I'm going somewhere, is that there would be seven years of plenty followed by seven years of famine. And no one else got that insight but Joseph. I'm talking to the church acting like we're running out of ideas. The Holy Ghost is not running out of ways to talk to the church. So the Bible said that during the seven years of plenty, he stored up for the seven years of famine that were on the way. Now, why is that relevant? Because those 11 brothers that threw him in the pit were living in the land of famine and everybody got hungry. And those 11 brothers who threw him in the pit and walked off and left him said, let's go to Egypt because we heard there's food in Egypt. So they come to Egypt not thinking they're going to find their brother who they threw in a pit. And when they get to Egypt, the Bible said that Joseph saw his 11 brothers, ribs showing, hungry because they don't have no food. And here Joseph is in a position of prominence and power with the ability to squish all 11 of them. And instead of hurting them, the Bible said he released food to the 11 that y'all not going to help nobody right here. I'm going to tell you how you know if you're mature in God. Can you bless those that tried to curse you? And can you bless those that tried to kill you? Oh, anybody can thank God when you're sitting down by somebody who loves you and likes you and is for you. But the real test of Christianity is can you bless people that lied on you? Can you bless people that talked about you? Can you bless people that passed notes on you? The Bible said that they made a decision to live in the land of Egypt. Is significant because those 11 brothers and Joseph and all of the in-laws associated with them, they went into Egypt a family. But if you flip over to the, to the book of Exodus, the Bible said in the first chapter of the book of Exodus that there arose a Pharaoh over Egypt who did not know Joseph. Now that is significant because as long as the Pharaoh whom Joseph was working for was in power, Joseph and all of his family, Abraham's descendants, they walked in favor and blessing. But when that Pharaoh died and a new Pharaoh rose up, he didn't know Joseph the way the old Pharaoh did. And instead of favoring God's people, he made slaves out of them. But I want you to watch how God operates. I want you to see how God works. All the time Pharaoh was trying to make them slaves, they were multiplying. Y'all didn't hear what I said. All day long they were working by the sweat of their brow. All day long they were building Pharaoh's kingdom. All day long under the hot Egyptian sun they felt like they were dying. They were treated like criminals. They were nothing more than slaves. And the enemy thought he was doing something against the people of God. But he found out that all things do work together for the good of them that love God. And instead of killing them, the pressure made them multiply. I just want to stop right here and talk to three people who are living under some pressure, living under some stuff, living under some yoke, living under some warfare. The enemy thinks he's driving you crazy, but what's really happening, I feel my help coming on me, what's really happening is God is multiplying you, and when the enemy gets through, he's going to wish he would have never messed with you in the first place. Touch somebody, tell them we don't die, we multiply. If you're still here, it's a testimony.
told him that God ain't through with you yet. All the mess you've been through, the devil thought you would have lost your mind by now. But look at God. Wednesday night, and you're still shouting hallelujah. Wednesday night, and you still got joy. Wednesday night, my kids are acting crazy. My life may be falling apart, but I came to say no weapon formed against me. Shall be able to pass. Shake hands with somebody, tell them, friend, if it don't kill you, it'll make you strong. <laughs> Hallelujah! That's how oh, I feel like walking around in here. That's why you gotta learn how to put on a gun in a place. Instead of a spirit of heaviness, after all you've been through, after all you've come out of, look what the Lord has done in your life. said that this new Pharaoh, he taxed them and worked them. They went in a family. But 400 years later they came out a nation. You don't mess with God's people. You don't mess with Chick-fil-A. If Chicago won't let a Chick-fil-A open up for business, God will pack every Chick-fil-A in America out on this Wednesday and show the devil that if you stand up for God and you hold to what is righteous, God will make the devil out of a liar. God will bless I'm trying to behave, but I feel my wheel in the middle of a wheel turning in this house. says that I'm trying to get there they went in a family but they came out a nation Pharaoh Pharaoh let me talk about Pharaoh Pharaoh always wants what doesn't belong to him and wants to keep us from having what is rightfully ours so Pharaoh is sitting on his hierarchical throne one day and Moses the stuttering shepherd walks in after having an encounter with Jehovah. This is not a normal Sunday morning or a 30 minute encounter. The man saw a bush. Oh yes. On fire. But it was not being consumed. And from the midst of the fiery bush came a holy voice. Moses, take your shoes off. You're standing on holy ground. I want you to hear what the word of the Lord is to Moses. God said to Moses, Moses, while you're out here dealing with all these sheep, I'm getting you ready for an assignment because I heard for 400 years my people crying out for deliverance. And God said this, I have come down to deliver them. Y'all better hear what I'm getting ready to tell you. God is not sitting up in some far removed corner of the universe watching the church meander and muddle through the muck and the mire of a messed up world, twiddling his thumbs, popping Prozac, wondering what to do with the big bad devil. God is coming down to deliver those who will put their eye fill him in here tonight. God came down and said to Moses, Moses, go into Pharaoh's presence and tell him, I said, let my people go. Who shall I tell Pharaoh that sent me with such a decree? God said, when he asked you who sent you, tell him, I am. I feel an old-fashioned anointing getting on me. I am that I am. Not I was. Not I'm going to be. But I am that I am sent me. Go 
goes into the presence of Pharaoh. He said, Pharaoh, let God's people go. And Pharaoh says, who is the Lord that I should obey him? That old spirit of Pharaoh is still at work in the land today. Defying preachers as they preach deliverance. Who is the Lord Jesus that I should obey him? I've had her bound by pornography and a seductive lifestyle her whole life. Who is the Lord that I should hear him and let her go? I've had that boy bound with sexual promiscuity his whole life. Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let him go? I've had that family in a routine and a rut of defeat and strife and misery. Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let this family go? I've had that young person hooked on drugs all of their teenage life. Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let him go? And when Pharaoh refused to take his hands off what God had put his hands on, God said, if you want to keep what belongs to me, you're going to have to deal with my power. You're going to have to I come to tell the devil if he wants to keep your children, the devil's going to have to pay for it. If he wants to keep your joy, the devil's going to have to pay for it. If he wants to keep your money, the devil's going to have to pay. God is about to make the devil. Let God arise and his enemies be I'm getting there, I'm getting there, I'm getting there, I'm trying. I'm trying, but I feel like preaching tonight. The Bible said that after ten plagues, you know the plagues, God's righteous power revealed against a hard-hearted enemy of God's people. When Pharaoh refused to let God's people go, God turned the water into blood. God sent locusts in the land. God put frogs in the bread dough. Hallelujah. Everybody in the camp of Egypt got cooties. Yes, they did. I said, yes, they did. Somebody say, yes, they did. They all got cooties. Because when you hold on to what God is trying to let go, when you hold on to what God is trying to release, God will make the devil catch hell if he wants to hold on to what God is trying to release. Oh, I feel like preaching it here. Watch this. The Bible said that the final plague was the plague of the killing of the firstborn. To the Christians or to the children of God, it was Passover. But to the enemies of God's people, it was the killing of the firstborn. This is significant. Because in one night, by the blood of the Lamb, not only did God preserve Israel, He took care of their enemies. Which meant that not only were they going to live that night, but if God killed one whole generation of Egyptian firstborn, it meant that there would rise up a generational gap where the enemy would not be present to continue to plague God's people. Oh, and I just want to preach for two minutes that when Jesus went to Calvary 2,000 years ago, my Passover lamb, Jesus Christ, shed blood that brought me out of sin, and his blood also rebuked the devil over my life and brought me victory. So watch this. God brings them out, out of Egyptian bondage. Anybody glad you've been brought out? Has he been brought out? I, I'm not talking about. I'm not talking about. You have you have one of those stories that 32 years ago something kind of happened. I almost forgot about, and and I'm just now here. I really don't know why I'm here. I don't know why I come on Sunday, but I think I got saved. I'm not really sure what happened. No, has anybody been brought out? Anybody glad you're not living in Egypt any longer? God said to Moses, now take them to the land, I promise, their forefather Abram. So they get close to the land. They come up by the way of the south. And the Bible said that Moses 
After coming out of Egyptian bondage, Moses sends 12 spies into the promised land. Let me, see, let me see if I can get you to understand this with me, that the promised land does not represent heaven. Now, if you, if you don't believe that, that's okay. It's not something we're going to fall out over, and it's not something that's going to cost us the rapture. But what I want you to understand is that the promised land had enemies on it, and when I get to heaven, I don't plan on fighting no enemies. The promised land was this land that God promised to Abram and now he is giving to God's people 400 years later. And they send 12 spies into the land to see if the land was as good as the advertisement. Now, the Bible said in the 13th chapter of Numbers that Moses sent the 12 spies in at harvest time. Somebody say harvest time. This is significant because to people who've lived in Egypt for 400 years, they have no point of reference for what harvest time means. For 400 years, their diet has been leek soup and onion cornbread. Other than bad breath, it'll leave you with indigestion. <laughs> and now God is getting ready to show them what abundance looks like. And they go into the land. And they find themselves at a place called the Brook of Eskol. And there in harvest time, the Bible said that these brothers, these twelve spies... They took grapes from the vine and so juicy and big and luscious were the grapes that one of them said, I can't carry this by myself. We're going to have to find a stick and two of us are going to be needed to carry this evidence back to the camp and show them what kind of land we're getting ready to move into. And when I read that, I thought about the Apostle Peter who launched himself out into the deep. And when he got out there, so many fish got in his boat that he started hollering for help so that his boat wouldn't sink in other words, God, when he blesses you, it, you'll know if it's a God blessing. Because if it's a God blessing, you can't carry it by yourself. You've got to find somebody to help carry this blessing. I'm about to run around here. Look at somebody tell them, neighbor, I'm going to need some help carrying this blessing. I'm going to need you to help me. I'm going to need to share this thing with you. I didn't come just to get a grape. I come to leave this house tonight loaded down with goodness and mercy. Slap your neighbor. Tell a neighbor, help. I said slap your neighbor. Say neighbor, help. Help me carry this blessing. Help me carry this breakthrough. Help me while I shout. Help me while I get my healing. It's too much for me. It's joy unspeakable. Somebody shout help. Can I preach like I like to preach back home? Hallelujah. So they threw the grapes over the, the stick. And on their way out, one of them said, this is a land that is flowing. Ooh. Flowing. Flowing with milk and honey. A few nights ago, I was giving this text to my children for night devotion. And I got a 10-year-old named Jeremiah. I got a nine-year-old named Isaiah. I got a six-year-old girl named Zion. And I got a four-year-old baby girl named Judah. And we got to this part about flowing with milk and honey. And Judah said, hold on a minute. Four years old. Hold on just a minute, Daddy. She said, where can we find a waterfall 
of honey and a waterfall with milk flowing. She said, if it's flowing, that means it must be like a river, a waterfall. I got to thinking, I never thought about that before. But when you've been locked up for 400 years, and you ain't seen no bees, and you ain't seen no cows, when you pass by the pasture, and the cow says, it'll make you lean over and slap your deacon friend, and say, baby, this land is flowing with milk, and when the bee buzzes by, and the clove is dripping with honey, it'll make you lean over to your friend and say, neighbor, this land is also flowing with honey. I just want to thank God that honey is sweet. And God's about to take the bitter taste out of your mouth and replace it with the sweet things of God. Hallelujah. So, they got all the evidence. And they go back to the camp with a good report. What's wrong with having optimism? What kind of sin is committed when we're hopeful? Why do people hate on us when we talk about a good future? There are some people, I, I know y'all don't have nobody like this down here in Sharpsburg. But back where I come from, there are some people addicted to misery. I watch them get excited over bad reports. The doctor saw growth. It's cancer. Oh! It's almost like we're looking for something bad to talk about. I'm telling you, family, if anybody ought to have something good in their heart, it ought to be us. They came back with grapes. A whole nation of people saw those grapes and their mouth started watering. They heard about milk and honey and a, and a promise of better on the other side. And the smile comes up. And they start wiping the tears from their eyes. They patting their babies on the head. Baby, it's going to be all right. God done brought it. I won't pat you on the head, but, but I'll pat you on the shoulder. God done brought us out of Egypt. And now he's getting ready to take us into a land flowing with milk and honey. In fact, baby, this is your land. This is the land, sweet pea. God said you were going to have. He told your great, 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 great granddaddy Abram that he was going to bless you with this fruitful land of abundance. And we're getting ready to go in. And the twelve spies standing there, ten of them said, hold up. Everything you heard is true. Everything you see is true. It is a land of abundance. But. I'm going to stay politically correct. But. Get it out the way. Get it out the way. Don't let the bad report rob you of your destiny. Twelve spies saw the goodness. Ten of them agreed with it. But their but B-U-T canceled the good report because ten gave a bad report to counteract the promise. Watch this. They said there are giants in the land. And we are grasshoppers in our sight and in their sight. Now don't miss this. I don't care what the enemy thinks about me. 
if the enemy wants to underestimate us because we don't have a lot of strength, that's his own business. It's bad when the enemy underestimates you, but there's a real problem when you underestimate the God in you. It would have been alright if they said that we are grasshoppers in their sight, but they said we are grasshoppers in our own sight. In other words, we think of ourselves as defeated before the battle ever began. And the question is not, how big is the giant on your promise? The question is, why is he on my property anyway? Some of us in this place, this church, I want you to understand where God is getting ready to take you is a land of sweetness. Can you handle this prophecy? It's a land of abundance. Well, you know, I feel much better if we were barely getting by. The devil is a liar. God's about to open you up and make you a blessing. All this negative confession mess better stop. Because where God is getting ready to take you, we need all hands on deck, all minds in harmony, all spirits in unity. There are too many giants in the promised land for us to sit back and talk. When they saw those giants, when they saw those giants... Here's what they said. They said they're bigger than we are. And when the congregation heard it, verse 3, Numbers 14, they said, let's go back to Egypt. My car has three primary gears. Park. Forward. And reverse. The intention of buying a car is to go forward. And when you're in a place of trying to find out where you're going, you put it in part. But a car is not meant to be driven for a long period of time in reverse. Because most of the time when you're moving in reverse, you've got to look at the rear view mirror instead of looking through the windshield. Y'all not going to help nobody right here. There is a reason why your windshield is much bigger than your rear view mirror. Because where you're going, I feel like preaching in here, is greater than where you came from. And God don't want you living your whole life looking at where you came from. I feel like messing somebody up in here. Some of you can't be who God called you to be because you're living in reverse. Always going backward. Always making making a bad decision of retreating to where God brought you from. But tonight, the devil is a liar. God is about ready to put this church in forward. We're going into the promise. If you believe it, shout yes! Touch your neighbor, say neighbor. We can't go back. We can't make progress. We can't retreat. This city don't need another church that goes under. This city don't need another church that's in park. This city needs a church that's moving forward. Well, I don't know. You know? I don't know, you know? Them some big giants over there. Listen, we haven't talked. I remember when we built our sanctuary two years ago. What's your name? Josh, that's right. I love you. Good to see you. Two years ago, we built that building, $3.2 million. 
called a giant. Now, when you was raised in the hood, and your mama drug you to a laundromat in a red wagon with your clothes in between your legs to wash the clothes because you couldn't afford a dryer, you see $3.2 million and you go like this. This is the big one, Elizabeth. I'm coming to... Six bankers. Somebody said, why would you want to build a church in the middle of the worst economic situation in decades? I didn't want to build a church. I don't build churches. Jesus builds churches. You can't stop this. If you keep loving people, if you stay humble, if you preach the truth, you can't stop this. You have a great leader, but he knows where his help comes from. You can't build this by yourself. He, Jesus, is the church builder. My church had grown from 34 people to about 700. We were in a gym. We were having two services. The passageway to get in was about six feet wide and about 13 feet long. We had 400 people lining up going down the right side while the early service went out on their right side. I had to do something. I had to do it because I had children that didn't have a place to worship and youth that didn't have a place to worship. I had to do it because the community was looking for a lighthouse. The community was looking for a place to sit. The community was looking for a parking place. The community, somebody heard bread was in the house and they wanted to come in and get in on the blessing. So I said, we're going to build a, we're going to build a building. I talked to six bankers. Five of them said, nope. Two of them said, you are crazy. No, I'm not adding two. I'm telling you, one of them looked at me and said, you're crazy. The other one said, this don't make no sense. You know what I said? It is very clear you are not part of the solution. So here I am with $3.2 million building on the, on the table. Can't find anybody to give us the money. And the last person I met with was a Baptist deacon. He walked in my church. I'm so depressed. He walked in my church. He said, preacher, I feel God. Where is it? Hallelujah. Let's go find him. He said, I feel God. I sat down and shared our story with that man. Three weeks later, we had secured $3.2 million. That was a blessing, but that was also a giant. I didn't know I was going this way, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go right here. I'm going to go right here. I'm going to go right here. Have I told this here? I don't want to bore your people. Easter Sunday. I can tell it without crying. It'll be a miracle. Easter Sunday of 2011. We had prayed and fasted. We had the building built. We were in the building, and we were still staring at a $3 million debt. And in my prayer time, the Holy Ghost said to me, I want you to believe me for miracles. Because I not only want you to raise money to pay a debt off, but I want you to build an orphanage. And I want you to build a church planting institute in the nation of Uruguay. Now, the first thing I did was rebuke the enemy. You know, God is not in that. I've already got enough stress, Lord. I'm not trying to add any more. But I knew God was talking to me. Simultaneously, we had launched an inner city campus in the neighborhood I grew up in. And we went in to have church. The city came in and slapped a a condemned sign on the door and said, You can't have church in here until you get the doors fixed and the windows fixed and you upgrade this and that. $80,000. So now I don't have a $3.2 million giant. 
I got a $3.9 million giant. That believe Sunday we had prayed and fasted. I didn't know what. I, I know that there are preachers who, who present themselves as they always have the answer. I want you to hear me. There have been more times in my leadership experience where my faith, my walk was a faith walk of trusting the voice of God where I did not know what would happen at B when I left point A. Your headlights on your car, when you get in your car to leave here tonight, they don't shine all the way to your house. They shine just enough for you to make it from one mile marker to the next. Pastor, what's the answer? How are we going to do all this? How are we going to do? What are we going to do? How can we do? Doc, we don't know. We just know that's our land. And there's some giants on it. Believe Sunday, Easter of 2011. We were going to take up an offering and launch a campaign to raise money to reduce debt on the building. Build an orphanage in Guatemala, build a church planning institute in the nation of Uruguay, and to renovate the inner city campus. On that Sunday, the Saturday night before, my 12-year-old baby, or my 9-year-old baby, on his birthday, which was April 12th, came into my bedroom with my wife and I, he said, and he was crying. Now, you have to understand something about Isaiah. Isaiah is a Lego fanatic. And if you know how expensive they are, I'm not. (laughs) And he had had a birthday the week before, and he came in my bedroom. He was crying. And he had over $200 for his birthday that he had gotten. And I knew what he wanted to do with it. He wanted to save his money up to buy the build, build and buy the biggest Lego you can think of. It's the Star something Lego of Star Wars. That's uh, huge. It's bigger than that plant. Death Star. That's what it was, Josh. You must have one. Hallelujah. That's my buddy. I'm kidding with him. He came into my bedroom that night. And he said, Mama, Daddy, the Lord told me to give my birthday money. Wait a minute. The Lord told me to give my birthday money to that orphanage in Guatemala. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I said, that wasn't the Lord's son. You were going to buy that big old toy. And I'm thinking in my mind, if he don't, I'm going to have to. But he starts, he starts crying. He said, I know this is what the Lord wants me to do. Now, you have to understand, my wife and I had never said a word to him about this. That next morning, I brought a wheelbarrow into the, Is this okay? I know I'm not preaching like I'm sharing this for a reason. This church needs to hear what I'm releasing into it right now. They brought a wheelbarrow. We brought a wheelbarrow. Larry painted it gold. I'll never forget it. A gold wheelbarrow. He brought it and put it in the altar. We brought dirt in from Uruguay, dirt in from Guatemala, dirt in from the inner city, and we brought dirt in from our central campus. We put it in that wheelbarrow. And I said, today we're going to sow seed into this fertile soil. This is not about us. This is not even about paying off a church. This is about trusting God. That what he said he would do in our house, he would do it. So today we're going to give. And I said, the first gift today. It's going to be my nine-year-old baby who's going to give every dime of his birthday money. And he brought his bag of money up. And with a smile on his face, he put over $200 in that wheelbarrow. And that day, about $90,000 came in. And pledges came in over a million dollars. And that sounds great. That's wonderful. But it wasn't. It was as good as we could do It was our faith, trust to God. But it wasn't as big as our giant. But what I didn't know is that sitting in that church that day was a billionaire to be. 
His wife was there. She saw my son put that seed in that wheelbarrow. She went back home, and between the time she left my church that Easter and Pentecost Sunday, ah, I don't want to go into it, but what I want to tell you is it was a miracle that God wrought in their life, and in 10 years, they developed a multi-billion dollar business that was sold. And on Pentecost Sunday, that family came back. And on that Sunday of Pentecost, I don't ever do this. I don't do it every Sunday. I said, you know what? We have a $3.9 million giant, and there may be someone in here today that could pay it off. I got a phone call that night from my music pastor. He said, Pastor Kevin, there's a man that wants to take you and your wife to eat tomorrow. Now, listen, Monday, if you mess with me on Monday, y'all got a prince of a man here. He's so kind and sweet and gentle. But if you mess with me on Monday, you take your life into your own hands. They called me and said, he wants to eat with you. I said, Jim, I don't eat with people on Monday. I'm going to spend the day with my wife. He said, Pastor, I feel God wants you to meet with this man. And when he said that, I never heard him talk like that before. I said, well, set it up and we'll go. I went back to a deacon meeting that night, not knowing what would happen the next day. At that deacon meeting, I started crying. I said, brothers, I have a vision. I have a vision to put every dime that we're putting into this building payment every month into world missions. Every dime. I don't want to pay a bank interest. I don't want to pay a bank all that money over the year. I want to put money into missions, and we need to believe God for a strategy to help us reduce our debt so that we can bless the kingdom of God around the world. I'm only sharing this with you because this is what happened for us. When I said that, one of my deacons snapped his fingers. He said, the Holy Ghost just said to me, that harvest is attached to a seed. Every deacon in that room knew the condition that we were in financially. And that night we sowed the... I'm not going to tell you what it is because it's not relevant. I'm going to tell you this, that when we wrote those two checks out to two inner city pastors, it took our operating fund to a place I had never been. And quite frankly, I didn't sleep all that night. In fact, I was prepared to say I'm not going to cash my check this week. That's where we were. Somebody said, oh, that's not wisdom. I know, but it's what the Holy Ghost said to do. See, we get real squeamish right here. Everybody's like, well, it's time to go to Chick-fil-A. Praise the Lord. The anointing lifted a few minutes ago. Hallelujah. I didn't sleep one single moment that Sunday night. I knew the checks we had written. I knew what I had said, but I felt like a fool. That next morning we got up. Devin said, my God, you look horrible. I said, I know I didn't sleep. She said, why? I said, because either we just obeyed God or we just made the biggest mistake in our life. She said, what? I said, I'll tell you later. <laughs> we went to lunch. I'm sitting in P.F. Chang's. I'm nervous. I don't even know who I'm looking for. I know the condition that we're in. I know the miracle we need and the giant we're facing. And I'm sitting there in P.F. Chang's and Devin's just praying. And I want him to just scream. All of a sudden, this guy with flip-flops and blue jean shorts and a t-shirt walks up to me with his wife. And I'm thinking... First of all, I'm going to fire my, my music pastor. <laughs> he said, hey, pastor, can we have a few minutes? I said, sure. We go over, order wonton soup, crispy chicken and fried rice. He said, tell me your story. Boy, I didn't plan on going this direction, pastor. He said, tell me your journey, your nine-year journey. I told him our journey. He told me in ten minutes his journey. 
hour and 15 minutes into the conversation, he said, I want you to tell me your dreams. I said, well, I want to build a church planting institute in the nation of Uruguay because they have three and a half million people and only 6% of them are saved. My wife and I want to build an orphanage in Guatemala because babies are laying in alleys and being thrown in dumpsters and the state doesn't have enough ability to take care of them. And on top of that, we want to build a hope house for the young ladies that are being sold into human sex trafficking in Guatemala. And I have a dream to go back into the city I was raised in and plant a church, a satellite of our current campus, so that we can impact that city with the love of God. He said, tell me how much those things are. So I told him the amount of the orphanage, $275,000. I told him the amount of, of, the, of the inner city campus. And, and he put that, his wife, every time I said an amount, she wrote it on her iPad. I thought, that's weird. <laughs> and he said, tell me your debts. I said, well, we owe three point some change on our new building. And we bought a piece of property a few months ago that is adjacent to the church. It's half a million dollars, $600,000. So he added it all up. He started crying. I thought, well, I better cry too. I don't know why, I don't know why he's crying. He feels sorry for me. He's, well, my God, that's horrible, brother. Hope you enjoyed lunch. See you next year. He said last week, I was at my dinner table doing my devotion at breakfast. And my devotion was Luke 6, 38. I've never shared all these details with the church before. He said, give and it shall come back to you. Good measure. Press down. Shake it together. And running over shall men give into your bosom. He said, today, Pastor Kevin, I've come to be that man. The Lord sent me from Texas to give you $4 million. All the land's flowing with milk and honey, but there are giants on the land and we can't take them. But there were two people in that camp that said, be quiet. Those giants are there, but this land belongs to the people of God and we are able to take it. I want you to know that Caleb and Joshua were the only two in their generation that saw the land flowing with milk and honey. And if you make up your mind tonight that you can have this land, God will let you taste the milk. God will let you taste the honey. God will let you enter into the goodness and shandal of a hole. Show you his provision. Hallelujah. So what did I, I'm through preaching. So what did I do? I called the elders and the deacons. I said, y'all meet me at church tonight. They thought I was leaving. Said, you're out of your cotton picking mine. If there's ever a time to stay, it's right now. Hallelujah. They came into that church. I had stones made up for every one of them, didn't I? I just preached on giants. I put a stone in everybody's seat in the church that Sunday. Because I reminded them it only took one stone for David to wipe that giant off the face of the earth. I feel like running around this church tonight. They came in there. They said, what's this about? We already got a rock. I said, you ain't got a rock like the one I'm about to give you. I told the story that I just told y'all. 
And for an hour and a half, we shouted all over that church. Listen, the first Sunday, you think that happened one time? No, it didn't happen one time. We went from that inner city campus, we were into another one. Bishop Walker called me and said, I got a church in trouble that's bigger than the one you got. It's three blocks away, but it's half a million dollars in debt. Will you take it? I said, I don't know. Let me go talk to the deacons. The deacons said, this don't make no sense. Why in the Lord would, why in the world would the Lord get us out of debt and then want us to take more debt on? I said, I don't know, but this is God. They said, we don't understand it, but we feel like it's God too. I want to tell you what happened. The last Sunday we were at the old campus in the inner city. A woman walked in and said, where's this new building going to be? I said, it's right up the road. She said, will you take me and show it to me? I took her down there and showed it to her. She said, what do you owe on it? I said, $490,000. She sat down and wrote a check for $500,000. She said, go take this to the bank. You don't hear what I'm telling you. You serve a God that's got all time. your neighbor say neighbor you don't serve El Chipo you serve El Shaddai my father owns the cattle on a thousand hills goodness and mercy follow me all the days of my life he shall supply all my needs hallelujah to the Lord our God he is a good God He's a God of more than enough. I wish somebody shout with me in this church. We're closing. But look at somebody tell a neighbor, this is our land. This is our time. We're not living in reverse. We're moving forward. Forward. Shake hands with six or seven people. Tell them forward. Forward. She not on a Moshiach. He come down on a Moshiach. Shandadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadad
Pastor, this is my this was my secret stash, Pastor. I know people get funny with money. I'm not trying to be funny. I feel the anointing on me right now. I feel the anointing on me right now. You say, preacher. Preacher, I already made a pledge. I'm not talking about a pledge. I'm talking about sowing into an anointing. I'm not talking about fulfilling an obligation. I'm talking about an offering to God. This is not to a man. This is to God. Get it ready. Get it ready. One section at a time. This is crazy. And I may never get another invitation back, but I love you while I'm here. I want this section to get ready first. Then this section is going to give it second. And then this section is going to give it third. And then this section is going to give it fourth. Before I do that, heads bowed, eyes closed. Get your offering ready right now. This is not about a TBN personality. This is not about anything but the kingdom of God. Heads bowed, eyes closed. No one looking, no one moving. If you're in this place and you're not right with God... The Holy Ghost is talking to somebody right now about a, about a gift that you don't think you can do. Listen to him. If you're in this place right now and you're not right with God, either you're a sinner or you're a backslider away from Jesus. If you died tonight on your way home and you don't know for sure that you're ready to meet God, when I say three, lift your hand up and say, Pastor Kevin, pray for me. I want to get right with God. One, two, three, right now, my God. Everyone look at me. Everyone look at me. This is the most important thing I can do tonight. Look at the person on your left and right and ask them this question. Say, do you need someone to go to the altar with you? If you lifted your hand or you should have, when they ask you that question, get out of your seat and come down here right now. We're going to pray and give our heart to Jesus. Thank you, dear lady, for coming. Come on, ask the person on your left and right. Do you need someone to go to the altar? If you lifted your hand or you should have, if you want to get right with God, come to the altar and let Jesus touch your life tonight. Get your offering ready. I'm telling you, I've never done this before. I've never done this before. God's about to move. God's about to move. Bobahara Fuskarabiba. Bula Hasha. Sendelibigoshaka. Bidahara Burandasa. Saralaburatash Katadesima. We are standing. On holy ground, and I know that. There